0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good morning, brethren. It's good to be here in Burlington. I think I should be here more often, right, John? But I don't usually get out to Berlin. I think this might be the second time I'm speaking in Burlington, I believe. See, John is keeping a check. <laughs> but I, hopefully, in the future, I'll be able to be out here. Because I know all of you. I mean, years for years, years going back, you know, John has been, and Eva, I've been in the church. I keep saying Eva, it's Ewa. Eva. Eva. Into the 90s, so you know, we have good friends here, Ray, and Ray goes back far too. So, but it's good to be here. I trust that you all had a good feast of Tabernacles. We did, yes, Brad. Yay! He was all over the feast with that. So, I'll remember you for that. It's good to see you as well. And thanks, um, for that song. You know, I had a sermon. Based on that song some years ago, yeah, I did a sermon on that song. Had I known you were going to sing it today, perhaps I would have, you know, delivered it here. But I came here with three prepared sermons, and I didn't know which one to use. But I'm going to talk today about a subject I believe is not often spoke about in the churches of God we often hear about the Trinity and we don't hear enough, often enough the concept that we believe and we teach and we know it's in the Bible and it's the the duality in the Godhead Father, Son because today Christendom just about every denomination in Christendom believes in the Trinity. It forms the basis of Christian, the Christian belief system. And I don't believe a lot of people take the time out to examine the scripture or this teaching rather. And that it's not a biblical Biblically based teaching. That admission comes not only from pastors, but well-respected theologians will tell you that the concept of the Trinity is not explicitly taught in the Bible. We embrace duality in the Godhead. Not a triune God, but duality. And when you go back to the earliest days of the church. And I like to focus on the first century church. The most authentic period in church history. The first century. Because when you get into the second and you get into the third. Some, some, you know, some things start to happen. I have another sermon that I, I was contemplating to do here today. I did it in a series in Toronto and some other places, perhaps in the future I'll do it here. The face of the early church to see what it's like. So we're going to go back into some history today and we're going to look at the duality in the Godhead. Where did it come from? How it started? How it faded away from history? Because the truth is, the early church of God had no concept of a trinity. It was not there. Adherents of the trinity doctrine today try to read ideas and notions into the Bible to support their view of the trinity. When what actually was there from the beginning was duality. In fact, what was there from Genesis 1, 2 and 3 is duality. Not a triune or trinitarian concept. The doctrine of the Trinity recognizes that God is one coexisting in three distinct persons. In the form of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. They are all distinct persons under one God. We believe in the duality that says God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit being the essence or the power of God, not a person. The Trinity was never taught in the primitive church or in the apostolic era of the church. Neither in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. It was accepted as doctrine in the fourth century. In one of those church council meetings, 381 in Constantinople. That's how the Trinity doctrine came. 400 years. After Jesus Christ ascended from this planet. So it was never recognized in the early church. One criticism I often read about with critics of the duality teaching is that it was never taught in the early church. Well I have news for them because you read the Bible throughout the New Testament and it's all there in the writings and we're gonna go through some of those today. Duality was taught but the Trinitarian concept was never taught in the primitive church and I'm talking and emphasizing the primitive church. The church that goes up to the close of the first century and I'm using the first century as my basis, because I believe, as I said earlier, it's the most authentic period in church history. The apostle, Why? The Apostle John was the last living apostle, and he died around 95 AD. He knew these doctrines. He taught these doctrines. So if we are going to talk about authentic period, because often today you hear um, popular and well-respected theologians talk about the early church. But what are they talking about when they talk about the early church? The church in the in the 2nd and 3rd centuries. And to me that is not the most authentic period because they put a lot of emphasis on these church fathers who had some beliefs that form what they call orthodoxy. And that to me again is another <laughs> that's for another sermon. But the reality is I'm focusing on the period Up to when the last living apostle was alive. Because the last living apostle was a testament to the belief of Jesus Christ and his followers. He knew. John, who wrote the book of Revelation or who got the revelation from Jesus Christ. He knew. And we saw that come into play in around 150 when Polycarp had to challenge a Bishop of Rome that no, I am not observing Easter. I am observing the Passover. Why? Because I know that was the date it was observed in the early church and by my fellow men. You see what I'm saying? So after 150, the church went downward. And there's a lot of history to that with the anti-Jewish sentiments being festered. Into what became known as these church eras, not church eras, but these church council meetings, beginning in 325, or not in 325, 318, 325, 360 AD, when they different when they discussed different areas like the Sabbath. We know the abandonment of the Sabbath occurred during that period. One of the main reasons being we don't want to look like the Jews. But back to what I'm, I don't want to get off into that. Believe me, that's another whole study in itself. In 1903, a Methodist theologian came across some very vital information. It was, it was vital because since the Nicene Council in the 4th century declared Trinity as truth, in their own eyes, of course, much has not been heard, heard About the early belief system about the Godhead in the early church. Or the primitive church. Much has not been heard about it. Once Trinity was embraced, then everyone seemed to have forgotten what was taught earlier. Now, the Methodist Review in 1903. This is what it said by this professor. Professor Loops Loops, a professor of church history, he said. In the study of the earliest developments of Christology, a form of belief that is neither Trinitarian nor unitarian. Unitarian means the one God that God embraces the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no distinctiveness, just one. God the Father encompasses everything that's what Unitarian basically believe what he says is neither the form of Trinitarian nor Unitarian but that may be named Binitarian Binitarian it's not a term you often hear nowadays you more hear of duality he thinks he sees this doctrine among the earliest Christians the earliest Christians, most plainly in the Shepherd of Hermas, Barnabas, the second epistle of Clement. And these are all extra-biblical writers who wrote extensively during that first century period about doctrines and church, church um, developments in the church and so on. And in Tertullian, he thinks the genuine form of this Benitarian doctrine was local to Asia Minor. Now that is very interesting because Asia Minor is the area that the, the primitive church and the early believers, that was where their influence was in Asia Minor. And he saw that, that this, this area was predominantly an area that taught duality or benetarian. And it was found in Asia Minor in Marcellus of Ancrya. Who died in 372 AD. From Asia Minor. It spread to the West through Ignatius and Irenaeus. And in the 4th century. It was still or less current. In the West. In the person of Hilary the Bishop of Poitiers, Who died in 368. That was from the Methodist Review. Another popular Christian um, writer. In his book. Devotion to Jesus in Early Christianity. By Hurtado. Lord he said there are fairly consistent linkages and subordination of Jesus to God the Father in these circles evident even in the Christian texts from the latter decades of the first century that are commonly regarded as a very high Christology such as the Gospel of John and Revelation this is why I refer to this Jesus devotion as binitarian a form of monotheism that there are two distinguishable figures, God and Jesus Christ, but they are posited in a relation to each other that seems to in, in, that seems intended to avoid diism of two gods, and the devotional practices show a similar concern. In my judgment, this Jesus devotion amounts to a treatment of him as a recipient of worship at a surprisingly early point in church history. So these two writers attest to the fact that the early church without a shadow of a doubt had duality as one of its core teaching. Brethren, today people who embrace the Trinitarian argument or the Trinitarian concept of a God, if they would only pause and examine where this teaching came from they would be in for a surprise but how can they in a system where if you do not believe in the trinity you perhaps will not be called a christian you will be called an ugly name a cult in the primitive church you know what they were called a sect s-e-c-t that's a nicer word But the one question I would want to pose None of the episodes of of Paul and Peter James, John Ever mention a concept of trinity They did They were believers in duality You want to call them a cult as well? Because they didn't believe in the trinity So how can you use that as a basis to say whether you are a Christian or not? You cannot become a member of the World Council of Churches unless you believe in the Trinity. So that is what defines Christianity today. And there was a lot of politics in how that came about. In the acceptance of God being three in one. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Because all, the, all the non, basically all the non-Christian religions around that time had a triune concept of God. It was something that was embedded in worship. They were always three. Like at one time, people would even notice that the Trinity had God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Mary the Mother of Jesus. That was a triune Trinity at one point in history. Now, early Christian scholar James McGrath says from his, two, from his book, Two Powers, an Early Jewish and Christian Monotheism. He says, while Paul engages in a great deal of, legitimation, of, of legalizing for, or legislation for his view of Torah, there is no indication that he felt the need to defend himself. Himself against charges of two, charges of two powers. Hearsay. In other words, Paul didn't feel any legitimate ground to defend himself when he wrote all of those epistles. And I'm going to go through some of them today to show you, because it's funny (laughs) that he, being one of the, he wrote um, a great percentage of the New Testament, and he never even alluded at one point to that. And let me say this up front. I'm not trying to prove the Trinity because I know Pastor Davis did something here on that already. The two major, doctors, the two major scriptures that are used to defend the Trinity. 1 John 5, 7 and, and, and Matthew 28, 19 are spurious. They are not in the original manuscripts. The one in John that says, 3 be a witness in heaven... Father, Son, etc. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen that says, Go ye therefore in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not in the original manuscript either. That was added there. So two of those main arguments that they use some scripture is not there in the original manuscript. This Trinitarian scholar, William Rush, He admits that duality is all over the New Testament. He said they can be found in Romans 8-11, 2 Corinthians 4-14, Galatians 1-1, Ephesians 1-20, 1 Timothy 1-2, 1 Peter 1-21, 2 John 1-13. He says no doctrine of the Trinity in, in the Nicene sense is present in the New Testament. So this is a man who teaches the trinity and who accepts the trinity. And he agrees. It's not there. What is there? It's duality. So how how can Christendom embrace a teaching like this? That is not there. It's not there. Here's another writer. Another Trinitarian again. Let me quote from them. He says, there is no doctrine of the Trinity in the strict sense in the Apostolic Fathers. Who were the Apostolic Fathers? All of those Apostles who were alive after Christ ascended. None of them wrote of a Trinitarian concept of God. The fact is, duality existed... From Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. God the Father talking to the Son. When it says, Let the Spirit of God move upon the waters of the deep, Trinitarians say, Ah, there is the Trinity. Because the, the Spirit is there as well. Brethren, if the world was in, in a chaotic condition, Genesis 1 1. In the beginning was the world, the world was with God. Sorry. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. So something was there. How could God order to get things in order, to be done in order, the creative process? How would he do it without his power? So when it says the spirit of God moved upon the surface of the deep. The power of God. That's what allowed the creative process to continue. And in Colossians 1 we know the scriptures say clearly. That the father commanded and Jesus the one who did the creation. And you look into the New Testament. And you see areas where it referred to the Spirit of God. It's referring to Jesus Christ. So the, you go back to Genesis 1 They're in conversation. You know what? Let us make man in our image. So they're talking, both of them. So you cannot write in. And that's what Unitarians do. You cannot write in. To 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 boost your belief systems of Trinity. This is not talking about a, a third God there. When the true church in the first century, consisting of the Nazarenes and the Jewish Christians, if you want to use that terminology, when it began to drift apart through persecution. Persecution and other method, methods, that doctrine began to fade. Fade to the extent that by the, by the end of the 2nd century, when the 19 under, under well, between 70 and 135 AD is known as the dark period in church history. Not a lot is known. A lot. It's like a blank in some areas. But when Emperor Hadrian re-emerged in 130 AD, after the temple fell in 70 AD, it was a different church. Not the one that existed before 70 AD. So all of these teachings were just fading, fading, gradually. So by the time Emperor Constantine came on the on the scene with his Mithra belief system and the triuneness of their, their gods. We see Christianity coming or falling victim to some of these changes. And brethren, these are critical. Why? This is what governs the majority of Christendom today. That is what we embrace. And I say we, society and a whole, not us. We can see from the scriptures that it's not there. But people do not have time to read their own Bibles. No, not in this IT age, in this age of technology. And even before then, the Bibles gather dust because no one, has, no one cares to really go back and to find out, to determine why do we believe what we believe. Hippolytus was the most important theologian and the most prolific writer of the Roman church in the pre-Constantinian era. And we know that a Benitarian view, a duality view, was held by Roman leaders in the 3rd century, such as Hippolytus. He did, he did not say... I and the Father am one, he says, writing now. He says, they are, he says, I and the, he did not say, I and the Father am one, but are one. For the word are is not said of one person, but it refers to two persons. This is Hippolytus, writing in the third century. One of the most respected writers in pre-Constantinian era. He was writing about duality. He also said, "God <laughs> is the family. You don't hear that name very, you don't hear that concept in Christianity today." And you, you hear people talking about — and I'm always baffled by this, because you hear people talking about gay marriage, they're destroying the family and all of that. But not for once. I've really sat down and listened to an intelligent conversation put forward by some church leaders in regard to the family concept of God. That God the Father, Jesus the Son, the church, His bride-to-be, and we, the saints, being the children. And the human family, that it's patterned of God, God of the God family. But why Because they do not teach that God is a family. And it's right here in the scriptures that God is a family. All they're consumed with is, oh, when I die I go to heaven. That is what the church is consumed with today. Or if you're not a Christian you're going to burn up in hell. And all those who don't believe that you're going to hell. Rather than From an intelligent and intellectual point of view. Go to the Bible and see what it says. Rather than being engaged in all of these traditional concepts that are without foundation. Hippolytus he says. For it is right in the first place to expound the truth that the father is one God. Of whom is every family. Every family. This is the third century. By whom are all things, of whom are all things, and we in him. And we in him. One of the oldest complete Christian sermon that has survived. Was done by M. W. Holmes. And outside of the Bible, this is, I tell you, this is very rare. Sometimes this sermon is erroneously referred to as the second letter of Clement. And you read it. And while it's not exactly clear, but you see a concept of duality coming out of this sermon. I'm going to read a section to you. It's, it, the, the sermon being delivered, he, he says, and this is a very early, that's early in the second century, I believe. It says, now the church, being spiritual, was revealed in the flesh of Christ. Thereby showing us that in any of us, that if any of us guard her in flesh and do not corrupt her, he will receive her back again in the Holy Spirit. For this flesh is a copy of the Spirit. No one, therefore, who corrupts the copy will share in the original. You see, or copy or duality here one um, to note. This, therefore, is what he means, brothers, guard the flesh. In order that you may receive the Spirit. Again, it's a concept of duality there flesh and spirit. Now, if we say that the flesh is the church and the spirit is Christ, then the one who abuses the flesh has abused the church. Consequently, such a person will not receive the spirit who is Christ. The Spirit, which is Christ. So he's not saying the Spirit is a separate person. He's saying the Spirit is Christ. So we see duality clear. Father and Son and the Spirit being Christ. From a very early sermon. So when the critics talk about the early church was not about duality. Early Christianity was not about duality. They're mistaken. They are mistaken behold Jeremiah 23.5 or before I go there we can look at another concept in Genesis 11.7 when they were building the Tower of Babel again we see a duality coming out there go let us go down and therefore confirm their language That they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad and thence upon the face of all the earth they left off to build the city. Let us go down. So we are going from the beginning and we are going to go right to the end. We are going to start from Genesis and we are going to write to Revelation to show you how that duality step by step right throughout the scriptures. That was Genesis, Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord of righteousness. This verse says, Yahweh, the Lord. It's in your Bible, as the Lord. It says the Lord, but it originally, in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. He's talking, he's talking here, and who is, is he talking about? He says, this one will come to earth in the future. David's descendant, a king will reign over the earth, Jesus, of course, and He gives His name, the Lord of righteousness, Messiah. Where is the Holy Spirit here? Duality. Proverbs you can come and look at Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended up into the heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Again. He's talking about Yahweh. And he's asking what is the name of the son? If thou canst tell... Every word of God is pure. He is shielded unto them that put their trust in Him. Again, dual it in Proverbs. Father, Son. Here's a powerful one: Psalm 45:6, repeated in Hebrews 1. And brethren, you can't get it better than this, because Yahweh is talking. The omniscient one, the omnipotent one, the omnipresent one the, one, the one who embodies everything, that is God. And he's talking here. He says, thy throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hates wickedness. Therefore, God, therefore, God, thy God, Has allowed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So God the Father is speaking here. And in Hebrews we see it a little clearer. In verse 8 he says. But unto the Son he saith. Thy throne O God. Surely the Father is not talking to himself. He addresses the Son. And he said, Your throne, O God. So the Father is calling Jesus God as well. And this is also a text we use to prove that Jesus Christ is divine, that He's God. He's very God. Because the Father is talking to Him. So if the Holy Spirit is God, where is the Holy Spirit here? Why all of these omissions? of the holy spirit when we see duality here coming out when we see the father addressing the son or we see the son addressing the father why are they leaving out the holy spirit why Daniel 7:13 This is another powerful one again because Daniel is in vision On what is going to unfold in the last days of humanity. He said, I saw in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. There is no doubt here who is the Son of Man. It is all over scriptures. Let the Bible interpret itself as well. That the Son of Man is Jesus Christ. And look at the next verse. Or the next line. And it says. And came to the ancient of days. Without a doubt. Here again we know. The ancient of days is none other than God the Father. There is no trinity here. Again duality. Trinity is left out. So all of these instances. Why? 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 why if god is three in one why are we seen two in one doesn't make sense isaiah 44 6 is also used to show that there's duality verse 6 says thus saith the lord the king of israel And his Redeemer. Most cases when we see the use of Lord, it's referring to Yahweh, God the Father. So it's translated Lord in our Bible. It says the King of Israel and his Redeemer. And we know who the Redeemer is, none other than Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts. Who says I am the first and I am the last, beside me there is no God. So again, we see once more duality. We come to the New Testament. What do we see? Very popular one in John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word? Of course, Jesus Christ so why is there no trinity in here because genesis you know genesis 1 and he and john 1 you look at it john could have started the john 1 could have been the beginning of the bible okay? it talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was with god it's You know, you look at this with a critical eye and if you are in a body of believers and you see these glaring omissions, I probably would be concerned. Because why? God is all about worship. He's all about adoration. That's why we are here today to do what? We didn't come here to drink coffee and cookie and water and talk and how was the week and the weather and then go back home. We came here to worship. Because God is all about worship. The scriptures teach us how to do it. Here's, a, here's what bothers me. It doesn't bother me anymore, but it usually bothers me. There is no text in your Bible. No text. Find one and show, show it to me. There is no text in your Bible that tells you to worship the Holy Spirit. Not a single test text. If God is all about worship, explain that one to me. Because we know in the new in the kingdom that is coming. It's going to be all about worship. But there's no text. To worship the Holy Spirit. So that one. Is beyond me. That one I I cannot. I can't answer that one. I've heard it posed to many. Believers of the Trinity. And they themselves can't explain it. Because the easiest way to explain it is to say, oh, it's a mystery. It's a mystery we cannot understand. And to me, that is a mockery to God. Because anything that God wants us to understand, it's in your Bible. Anything He wants us to understand, brethren, let's get it clear. It's in your Bible. If He doesn't want you to understand it, then it's not here. So, if he's going to give you a doctrine that embodies the Godhead, who he is, who he is, and then he doesn't reveal to you or sh- reveal in the scriptures who he is, whether he's triune, if he's triune, then why he makes it so difficult? Why giving me gray hairs and giving you a headache to find out, to decipher this? That's not God. God is not confusion. God is an author. God is not the author of confusion. And He is omniscient. He knows everything. Anything He wants us to do, it's here. Anything He wants us to know, it's here. So if he's going to give me this weird teaching that I have to be fumbling scripture and looking for the weakest argument to build an argument to say it's here, I'm going to believe this. I'm not going to believe the concoctions of humanity. And his followers clearly, brethren, demonstrate the fact that there is duality in the Godhead. John 3:35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. The Father loves everything and He has given all things into His hand. So the Father now is, remember, Jesus Christ, Romans 8, He's going to inherit all things. If there's, du- if there's triunity in the Godhead, and, uh, and, and the, the, the Father now is going to give all that He has. Why is He only giving the Son, and He's not giving the Holy Spirit anything? Why is He not going to inherit everything? And during his walk here on earth. Jesus clearly demonstrates over and over. Especially in the book of John. What the Godhead consists of. John 7.29. I know him because I am from him. And he sent me. We see all of these scriptures. John 6.46. No one has seen the father. Except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Only He, meaning Jesus Christ, has seen the Father. So where's the Holy Spirit? If He's part of this Godhead, why is not saying that the Holy Spirit has seen the Father as well? Because the Holy Spirit is supposed to be a person. It's duality. It's duality. John eight nineteen. Then they ask Him. Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would have known my father also. If the Godhead is three persons, why is no mention here of a third person? John 10:15, just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, we see that there, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me but the Father. To the Father, but through me. So where is the Holy Spirit? If you had known me, verse seven, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. John seventeen twenty five, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. John eleven twenty seven, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father, neither knows any man the Father except the Son, and he to whom whomever the Son will reveal him. Again, brethren, this would be an insult if the holy spirit is the third person because all of these scriptures i'm showing sure, you it's omitted it's not there 1 Corinthians 15:27 for years put everything under his feet now when everything meaning everything under Christ's feet no mention of the holy spirit 1 Peter 3:22 Breaking into the thought, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. But I the Holy Spirit omission here again. Brethren, the reality is. Trinitarians read into the scriptures to boost their argument, what is not there? It's clear. One of the fascinating aspects of Paul in theology, you know, Paul's writing, is that many scholars tend to overlook is how Paul addresses the Godhead in all his epistles. It's amazing. Romans one one. He makes it absolutely clear of the du- duality that exists in the Godhead. Remember now, I'm I'm an ambassador. I wish I were for the Canadian government, and I'm coming into a country to introduce myself. Of course. I would have to say, I represent the government of Prime Minister-elect Pierre Trudeau, Right? I would have to say that. It's clear. Likewise, Paul is bringing greetings to all members of Christendom who are Christians. And he's bringing greetings from the Godhead. This is what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ Romans 1 1st Corinthians 1 grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ 2nd Corinthians 1 1 grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Galatians 1 1 Paul an apostle not from men or through man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me. To the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father. And our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Apostle. Ephesians 1.1. Of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus. And the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians one one same thing, Colossians one one same thing, Thessalonians first Thessalonians one one same thing, second Thessalonians one one the same thing, 1 Timothy one one same thing, second Timothy one one same thing, brethren it goes on and on, Titus one one, all of Paul's epistles. It was the same thing. Father and Son. That would be a big blunder. For someone who is representing Christ. To do that. And forget to mention the Holy Spirit. Let's say he forgot to do that. For argument's sake. Maybe one of the other writers would pick it up. Don't you think? He made a mistake. So maybe one of the, the other writers is going to pick it up. <laughs> you look at Peter, another writer. 1 Peter 1, 1. 2 Peter 1, 2. Same thing. Greetings from God the Father and Jesus the Son. No mention of a third person in the Godhead. James, the brother of Jesus Christ in his epistle as well perhaps he made the mistake too this would be unforgivable brethren the word of God is clear and it's begun right from Genesis we're going through and we're going to really end up in the the last book of the Bible Revelation what can we take from this is that the word of God stands above the words of men in your own research you can go back to the church councils in the 4th century and you can read some of the things that happened how it was voted how the vote came about for the Trinitarian doctrine a vote Not the scriptures. A vote decided it would be the doctrine, or it would be embraced as a as a tenet of Christian faith. And from what occurred in the fourth century to this very day, October twenty fourth in the year of our Lord twenty fifteen, it still defines Christianity from the fourth century when it was never taught. In the first 300 years of the church, why did the early believers did not accept this teaching? One, they didn't know about it. Two, it was not in the scriptures. Therefore, they, if, it, if it weren't in the in the oral, because at that time the scriptures were were in canonized, if b- books of like Matthew and John. They were written from 60, between 60 and 90 AD. So there was no writing, but the oral, there was an oral tradition. And some of these men taught what they learned from Jesus Christ Himself. It was never there. So it was alien, that concept. They knew about the Spirit, but they knew what the Spirit was. They must have heard from, from one of those writers. When Jesus was walking on the earth in one instant. He breathed on people and said receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit. Can you breathe a person? No. He breathed power. When he breathed he gave them power. His essence. And that is why God is everywhere. How? Is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is here in this room. How? Through the presence of his Holy Spirit. That's how he does it. And that is what he has over the devil. Because he's God. He can be everywhere at the same time. Satan the devil cannot do that. He cannot be in here one moment. This moment. And in Toronto. At the, at the, at the pulpit there in Toronto at the same time. One of his demons can, but he cannot himself. So God's presence is what the Holy Spirit provides for you and I. To this day, you go to some churches and they still recite the Nicene Creeds. One of them being the Trinitarian Formula. We believe in the existence of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's not scriptural. It's not there. So you can go through in your spare time, brethren, and you can see for your own self, what I did here is just scratch the surface. In the early, the primitive church, some of their belief systems what, the, what Christianity believes today. And you compare it. <laughs> this is a joke. You compare it. To the belief system of the church today. The commonalities are few. I can tell you that. Because the early church had no Christmas. The early church had no Easter. The early church had no Sunday and I don't mean to knock Sunday people, I'm not doing that. What I'm telling you is fact. They did not teach heaven. They did not teach hell. They kept the dietary laws. They kept the Sabbath, they kept the holy days. They had a concept, a clear concept of the kingdom of God returning to earth. Not people going to heaven. The sons of Zebedee wanted the kingdom to be established. They thought the kingdom was going to be established in their time. So they weren't looking forward to going to heaven. So all of those concepts were clear. There was no trinity. They had duality. And you look at what Christianity believes today. They had no rapture. They had no one save, always save. You look at what Christianity believes today. And brethren, when they talk about orthodoxy, I wonder about that. God, where did that come from? Surely not the primitive church. Because none of what they embraced today as that existed then. I'm going to close with a scripture in Revelation 22. Because after humanity has gone through all of these trials and tests. After many of us have, have pledged to follow the, no other name but that of the name Jesus Christ. And we have been washed by his blood. After we have been saved by his grace. And now we come to get our joy to the full. When, the, when all of the, 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 the horsemen, the four horsemen of, of the apocalypse, when they ride. When all the seven trumpets are blown when all the the, the vials of wrath and the plagues and the woes when all of that is finished when the millennial reign of Jesus Christ is established and now we see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to the earth not people going back to heaven but the new kingdom coming here on earth Revelation 21 here is a picture That John captured. That should stand out in our mind. When we want to have a concept. Of the Godhead. Never forget this scripture. Because it tells you exactly. What we are going to see. Of the Godhead. It says in Revelation 22. Or Let me read from verse 1. It says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So the, the throne of God now is established on the earth. That's what we are seeing. In, that what we will be seeing. And verse 2, in the midst of the street of it and on the other side of the river was there the tree of life. Which bear twelve manner of fruits and yielded he her fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Now look at verse 3. This is a picture, this is an imagery that is coming out to John. And there shall be no more curse. Curse that causes diseases and, you know, sicknesses and deaths and, you know, all kinds of, of ills. What we are seeing now is no longer a curse. We are going to see the throne of God. That is what we are going to look up to. Because now it is time for everlasting worship. There will be no night there. We are told. We are told all the nations will be gathered under God. And we are going to see the throne of God. And it says, but the throne of God is. And of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So we are the servants. It says the throne of God and of the Lamb. Brethren, this is the Godhead. Where is the Holy Spirit? If this is the throne that we are going to see forever into eternity, and if God is triune, consisting of three persons. Where is the presence of the Holy Spirit here in this image of the throne of God after the new Jerusalem is established? It's not there. It's not there. It says, verse 4, They shall see His face and His name shall be in their foreheads. So when that name comes on our foreheads, so to speak, figuratively we will see everything of God if the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead it should be here and it's not I think this is enough to convince me of the duality in the Godhead God the Father Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit being His presence in our lives